0: Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as planned. Well.
1: Welcome to the Lazarus Project Podcast. This is episode five, the Mass Effect podcast discussing its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. This podcast is recorded live in the Propy54 Gaming Discord server, so come join us there to listen to the raw, unedited version, and all the details can be found in the show notes. My name is Tim, and joining me as usual today is Manning, also known as that Cerberus guy. Hey, how's everyone? And also joining me is Craig also known as Chakwas or Takes to No Games. Hello. In this episode, we're going to be breaking down our top five most disliked characters. But first, it's the news. Welcome to Citadel
2: Newsnet, I'm Emily Wong. Uh, so is it the news headlines? I do. I've got it all in a big old Twitter thread by CD Project, And I do feel a bit cheap sort of just going straight through Twitter but you know, it's straight from the horse's mouth. Um, so one of the projects that CD Project Red has announced is they're calling it code name Hader. And it's they, they describe it as an entirely distinct IP created from scratch within CDPR. Project is in the early stages of development, which means they're not developing it yet. But they're working exclusively on the foundation for this new setting. So it's. I mean. I mean. This. This first announcement is. You know. It's not huge. It's not a huge brand or anything. But um, it's it's a it's a project they're working on. <laughs> so I, I don't know if we have anything to say about um. About
3: that. I was just that like, that's always exciting news when a studio, especially one as big as CDPR, puts out that they're starting like a brand new project because like you know it's going to be like years and years down the line but it is still exciting but I hope just that it works out because there's been in like recent years like remember like infamous the project ragtag that Star Wars game it's a hopefully like it can actually get all the way there because there have been some fairly major things I have been excited about in the past that have just died which is kind of sad like again like that Star Wars game with Annie Hennig writing for it or running the show looked amazing and now we'll never get to play it
0: yeah
2: it's also i guess nice that um it's not going to so much i guess fall into the ubisoft trap of constantly sort of churning out sequels to the to like existing franchises and i'm i know a lot of other games companies do the same but
3: Well, I mean, for things like Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty and that sort of thing, like when you just have like a new game every year, like they're fine. They're filler games, but they're not really like, I haven't, I don't necessarily, for example, like hate the Assassin's Creed game. They're fine. Valhalla was fine. Odyssey was fine. But that's what I mean is they're they're just fine. I haven't played a memorable Assassin's Creed game since Brotherhood, and that was over 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, I think it just kind of shows then
0: that maybe even the people that are making it aren't as enthusiastic as they might have been previously. So it could just be a much-needed like breath of fresh air for the developers. You got any thoughts, Tim? I,
1: I just can't believe it. The amount of... It, it just blew my mind when I saw that, that thread with... All these different games and all these different pro- projects that are released within the next six years, apparently, as well. I mean, I know they've, they've outsourced mm-hmm. a load of stuff, haven't they?
0: Yeah.
2: So the next one's project code name is Sirius. And it's a game set in the Witcher universe. And it says it's created with support from CDPR. So I guess it's not primarily. Well, actually, it says it's. Um, Give me one second, actually. It's developed by uh, the Molasses Flood, which is a CD project studio. So it's a subs- subsidiary of CDPR, I think. And it will differ from their past productions, so it's apparently vastly different or different in some way, offering multiplayer gameplay on top of
0: a single-player experience, including a campaign with quests and a story. That's quite a lot to digest. Yeah, I wonder what that's going to be about. Do you think it's going to be more multiplayer... Fo- well, In in
2: the tweet it says, offering multiplayer gameplay on top of a single-player experience. So I don't know if that means multiplayer is going to be the focus or if it's going to be a secondary thing and just kind of a pre-warning.
3: I wonder of- if that means, like... What was it? Was it Assassin's Creed Unity? where you could like have up to four people doing co-op in the campaign. Like you'd make make your character and then just jump in with your friends and you'd be doing like, as opposed to like traditional multiplayer, like say like in the Mass Effect, the single player versus the multiplayer. So maybe it would be like, I wonder if that means like you can play single player, but also your friends can jump in and help you in the campaign as opposed to, again, traditional multiplayer.
2: That would be interesting, yeah. Like a co-op experience, that'd be quite cool. Because it is it is still set in the Witcher universe. And it does have that single player campaign, so I could I can see that working quite well actually.
3: And like the way you read that to me sounds like they're like it's in the Witcher universe, but they're trying to like distance themselves a little bit from Geralt and everything that happened in the first three games. So and I was and again I hope I got the I hope it was Assassin's Creed Unity I hope I didn't get the game wrong because everyone's gonna laugh at me if I did.
2: <laughs> What's quite interesting actually is this company from the pictures I've seen they, they do come off as a little bit indie, but uh, they're working on something in the Witcher universe. So I don't know if that means in terms of graphical quality it'll be the same as the original Witcher three games.
0: Which the original Witcher trilogy, sorry. Sometimes graphics that are toned down a little bit
3: can actually help a game, though. Like, not everything has to look like absolutely jaw-droppingly stunning and amazing. I mean, like it. it sometimes, like if you tone things down, like I like Stray just came out a couple months ago, and it's like one my game of the year personally, and it doesn't look like. It's up because it's not like this huge, big budget triple A thing that had 140 million dollars behind it. It was a smaller like double A indie thing, but it still ended up being absolutely amazing, even though it didn't blow anyone's explode anyone's head with its graphics.
0: Mm. I think it'd be
2: quite exciting actually if it ended up being um, an MMO or something, and you would have maybe. Um, schools is like the sort of the guild system.
3: That would actually be very interesting. And I would play that. And again, like I said, with as far as like the graphics go, look at, um, if they did go like the MMO route, I mean, just look at, uh, SWTOR. I mean, like even by 2011 standards, that game does, didn't look very good, but look how huge it became. And it's how huge it's still going on.
0: Yeah. If it would be a great sort of long
2: term plan, then I guess. But it's just—it's a actually, yeah, it's an independent studio, They're like a subsidiary, working on it. So it would work as like just a good long term thing, then. If CD Projekt is not, you know, heavily involved. I mean,
1: have you ever, You guys ever played um, Throne? No, can't say I have.
2: Not even heard of it.
1: Have we not? It, it's it's the Witcher game, and it's it's basically uh, Gwent, but is. It's like a table top-down table kind of art style, different to what you normally used to play in. But it's really, really good, and the story to it is absolutely fantastic. And it's completely... You, you battle in it, and the way that you move through the game is by playing Gwent. But it adds so much to the, the backstory. of. What, is this a mobile game? No, no. No, it's PC. I think you can play it, probably play it on mobile, I should imagine. But is it know, like a uh, PC game? You- Not
3: quite, no. Oh. No, no, because I was going to say I think it was Final Fantasy IX that had like a really big—I forget what it was called, but there was a card game that was like like the key, a key part to advancing the story.
1: Um, I should well, I should imagine so. Sorry, I'm trying to rhythms. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, blimey. <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah it, it's fun. it's a it's a card game. Uh,
0: yeah, like a.
1: You get cartoony kind of story bits in between and uh, there's branching paths on on how you do it and Geralt's in it. He he has a little camera and you can meet people along the way and depend on who you've got in your party and that depends on uh, what actions you can and can't take and you have to travel. You basically get thrown out of your kingdom and you have to build up your army and then go back and go and take it back from the... It's what the black one's called? Elf Guardians. Yes, yeah, so the Elf Guardians come and, and kick you out of your your kingdom by your actual your, your son portrayed. Because uh, you play as a uh, female ruler, and actually, there's a very small Easter egg. If you play The Witcher, there's NPC dialogue as you're running through the streets. I don't know if you guys have ever played Witcher One, no. but there's um, not in a while people that you can speak to. She say she says about uh, Queen. Queen Maeve, and how she, uh, she's she got like a massive uh, scar across her face. Well, you play Queen Maeve. Maeve? Maeve? You actually see the part where she gets um, disfigured in the game. It's like, oh, it's a, like a really nice, very small thread, actual main series of The Witcher. But gone on a
2: massive tangent there, so I do apologise. So Thronebreaker is directly tied, like it is... In, involved in the Witcher universe, like CG, like it's official. Like yes, it's project, yeah, right? it's like
3: a, yeah. So it's proper canon then, and not just like a quote-unquote prequel?
1: It's Yeah, it's a prequel to the game, so Black Rayla is actually White Rayla in the game, it's before she changes, yeah, it's all set before The Witcher 1.
2: Interesting. Right, so the next one, oh, we've still got, still, still got a few. Right, the next one is Canis Majoris, it's a full-fledged Witcher game, separate to the new Witcher saga. It will be developed by an external studio headed by experienced developers who have worked on past Witcher games. So is this the you the, the thing, this one? No, because um, the, the, the cat image was used when they announced the... Well, actually, they announced the next Witcher game, didn't they? They didn't say that that was actually the one that's part of the trilogy, didn't they?
3: And I mean again, I suppose everyone, or at least we're assuming, it's the school of the cat. But I mean, I guess it just literally could have just been a cat. (laughs) Yeah, but
0: it's.
2: I I think I saw a video speculating that it's possible that the new trilogy could focus on Siri, and this game could kind of offer some closure on Garrett a little bit more in some some regard. But obviously, that's just speculation. I mean, that's what we're doing right now, I guess. but
3: <laughs> <laughs> see, I don't know. I'm probably going to be in the minority here. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I really, really liked Siri, But having said that, I don't know if
0: I'd want to play an entire trilogy as her. Mm. no, I don't think I would either. It does make you wonder, though, like, because it's, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those ones where I guess it's hard to really sort of weigh in
2: ideas on this one. It's kind of, it's interesting. And it's, it's, it's interesting that they've actually, like, it feels like there has to be something heavily, like, involved legacy-wise if they're bringing in uh, veterans, like they're bringing in experienced developers for this
3: project. I mean, I guess it's just, like, to use a Mass Effect analogy, it would be, like, if Bioware put out, like, I don't know if you'd want to call it a DLC, or, but if they made, like, one game where it was, like, you played as Jacob and it was all about the whole thing, or, like, how he met Miranda and how he joined Cerberus, and then how they they stopped that, uh, I think it was a Batarian plot, to poison everyone, like, that would be fine and awesome, but I wouldn't want to play like a trilogy as Jacob.
1: They did did make that game.
3: Yeah, but that was like a $2 mobile game, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, but it is exactly that story.
3: (laughs) No, no, but I mean, if they made like a proper like AAA version of it, like that would be fine and I would play it, but I wouldn't want to play like a whole trilogy as Jacob. Yeah. It's just like, I love Siri. Like, don't get me wrong. I really, 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 really like her. I just wouldn't want to play three games as her.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
3: I can't hear anything now.
0: Here's a
2: question though, like if you were going to play a Witcher game where you weren't playing as Geralt, who would you play as? Or who would you like to be playing as?
3: I would love to play a game where I got to play as Letho. Kind of, of going to say that. <laughs> or as you were alluding to earlier, like if I could like A customizable thing like a witcher mmo i would probably stop playing swotor and just switch to that
2: Mm -hmm. i also wouldn't mind if they just use the music from witcher 3 as well just because i i do love the music in that in that game but yeah i agree about that mmo being quite a cool thing do you have any thoughts tim about the experienced developers working on a separate game
0: um not really, not not until I see some something coming out of it. Wait and see, really, mm-hmm. if it's going to be any good. Never yeah, know, it might be brilliant. After mm-hmm.
1: all, um, there is was yeah, the uh, KOTOR 2, which I think is a lot better
2: than KOTOR one, and that's obviously a different. Well, I think there's also a uh, lot of a lot, a lot, there's also a lot less pressure, I guess, if it's an independent game. Yeah, it's not tied to the trilogy; it doesn't have to have links, necessarily.
3: I think, too, you have to take, when they say, quote-unquote, experienced people are working on it, I think you have to take that with a grain of salt, because, I mean, like they're going to say that about everybody. They're not going to say, we just hired some guy off the street to do this. I mean, they're not going to do that. They're going <laughs> to prop it up and say, Every- everyone is super-duper experienced.
2: Yeah, but in this case, they did say developers who have worked on Witcher games in the
3: past. I mean, yeah, that's true. But again, I just, whenever I see headlines like that, I just, maybe I'm cynical because I'm 39 now. But whenever I see headlines like that, I just always are like, okay, I'll wait and see.
0: I guess that's
2: all we can do. Right, so there is one last announcement in terms of the Witcher universe. And then we've got one more about something else. So the next one is called Codename Polaris. And that's the next installment of the Witcher series.
3: That's the cat one, then, right?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I would believe so. And it says it's in um, pre-production,
0: and yeah, they, as we previously discussed, it says we aim to release two more after
2: Polaris, creating a new AAA RPG trilogy. As we kind of already knew. <laughs> well, what do you have? Do you, do you guys have anything to say about that?
3: Well, again, like I'm super excited, and like we mentioned. Like, I think we we went on for, what, the better part of 30 or 40 minutes last episode talking specifically about that. But I guess to summarize, I mean, like, it'd be super exciting. And like I said, it would be interesting playing as someone from the School of the Cat. Like, if you were, if it was somehow, like, working around towards something where, like, you were opposing to Geralt, opposing Geralt. So it would be like, you'd almost get to play as an antagonist because you're, suppose i guess apparently in the school of the cat
1: mm. yeah yeah i'm i'm the, the continue with the the witcher franchise i'm glad it's not okay. just ended with the with the witcher 3
2: it would have to be somewhat separate though wouldn't it i mean we kind of touched upon it again anyway but um with how much variety there is in the witcher 3 ending surely you'd think they would go far enough away from What happened at the end of Witcher 3, you'd think, wouldn't you?
3: As long as I can have a horse that can fly. (laughs) (laughs) That was the biggest issue with the Witcher television series, is the horse never glitched out and started flying.
2: All right. The last one is the next cyberpunk game called Codename Orion. It will take the cyberpunk franchise further and continue harnessing the potential of the dark future universe.
0: And they've also announced that it is going to be in Unreal Engine as well. Unreal 5? Yes. But is Keanu Reeves going to be in it? That's another question, isn't it? Um, I'm not entirely sure I would want him to be. Like, I like
2: Keanu Reeves, but I haven't. Maybe I need to give him a bit more time in that game. But I'm playing it through now, and it does. It does feel a bit like he's not used to sort of, sort of voice acting gig.
3: I admittedly need to play that game more too, because like when it first came out, like was obviously super excited for it, but then it was like a broken mess, so I just stopped playing, and only recently kind of went back to it a little bit. Yeah, I've only just
2: really picked it up. Right. So- I will say, since I've given it more of a chance, I've started enjoying it. But I, sh- I, sh- I sh- like so hope that they make the journal better in the next game because it is so useless.
3: <laughs> I think the one thing they definitely need to do in the next game is make it so, like, it make it so like it like when you pick. I'd like whatever you pick of the first three, like your quote unquote backstories. I mean, it kind of changes the intro a little bit and then there's some different dialogue here and there, but essentially you're still playing the same character, no matter what, which one you pick. So like to have things that actually felt
0: distinct would be nice. Mm. Also, I didn't quite realize that my
2: backstory integrated into the main story until it did like i actually had to look it up to realize that i wasn't playing my backstory anymore because i was doing the street kid and it's sort of fit quite naturally but it is actually a short backstory isn't it like it doesn't play out for very long at all
3: i knew you were going to say that you picked street kid by the way
2: <laughs> it just seemed quite natural to me like it seemed like the
3: better fitting one to the story i went nomad and i'm guessing tim picked corpo
1: um I started on, on on that, yeah. But then I uh, I changed my mind and went um street kid.
0: Who's his family? Doesn't have one. He was raised on the streets. <laughs> it's just like the earthborn
3: backstory for Shepherd. What's the name of the gang that Shepherd was
0: in if you picked up back? Is it like the Cardinals or something? Something like that, yeah. No idea. There is a um, backstory mission, though, isn't there? About that. Well, every backstory has its own unique mission. Yeah. I just there's the girl on, on the
3: docking bay that you have to like talk down from committing suicide, and then there's the drunk guy. If you pick spacer, who like you have to talk to your mom about him and then convince him to get help.
2: I don't think I did. I don't think I've ever seen that one.
3: It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty interesting. You've run into in the lower awards, this guy who's like, oh, you're sh- You must be shepherd. I used to serve with your mom. And then he, he asks you for 20 credits so you can get food. But then if you give it to him, he actually goes and buys a bottle of whiskey instead. And then you have to go back to the ship and you talk to your mom, radio your mom to talk to him about it. And you find out that he was like on the ground during like some serious batarian raids and saw people get like tortured and slave collared and drug off to get sold into slavery. And it just like mentally destroyed him and he like couldn't function anymore. And he just became a drunk. So then you have to go and talk to him to convince him to go to like, talk to the veterans affairs office and talk to other people who have seen horrible
0: things and try to get help. Sounds quite different. But yeah, going a little bit Craig's back playing to... Spacer next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll have to. Um,
2: going a bit back to that last report, though, just because we're still kind of on the news segment, um, I think it's quite nice that they're still doing another Cyberpunk game despite the kind of issues they had. Because I, I think the main problem was they just didn't give the game enough time before launch, did they? Welcome to Citadel Newsnet.
1: I'm Emily Wong. Okay, so I'm discussing for this evening is
2: our top five disliked characters. Okay, right. My number five and I did bounce around characters a little bit. My number five is Kelly. And I guess that's a little bit controversial controversial. But um it's not a case of beating her. It's just a case of don't find her as interesting as a lot of other characters like i see the potential there and i see how she could have been used to kind of be that bridge i guess between cerberus's um extremism against aliens and being a little more
0: open in the future and like little bits and pieces like um The fact that she's
2: barely got a role in Mass Effect 3, and I get that there's a lot that you have to integrate into Mass Effect 3, but the fact that she's barely in that, and she sort of gets killed so unceremoniously if um, you don't convince her to change her name. And I think you actually have to romance her to even see her in the third game or something. Do you guys know for sure on that
3: one? No, she's in the third game. Regardless, um, it's just if you romanced her in two, then there's an extra romance scene
0: in three. That's the only difference. Oh, well, okay. I found that in some places it's quite hard to find her.
3: I
2: thought,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. Well, to be fair, in to be fair, in three, she looks absolutely nothing like she does in two. Like they uh, completely changed the character model, even before. She dies. You ahead. convince her to dye her hair blonde. It's
2: more that she just wasn't appearing on the map. Like I guess you've really got to be at, there at a specific time to see her.
3: Yeah, like I—I I mean, I—I could be wrong, but I've definitely seen her in the game in three. When I've not romanced her, maybe you have to get like up to the, at least to the point where like she comes and has dinner, and then she'll start feeding your fish. Maybe like maybe if you just completely ignore her, you don't see her. I think that so. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. But you definitely don't have to
0: sleep with her for her to be in the third game, yeah, I just I just kind of see her as a bit of a missed opportunity,
2: really, like she doesn't really open up about her family or anything like you don't she doesn't really give you enough reason to care about her besides the fact that she's a little bit friendly, you know this is
0: kind of my overall point, I guess, as well as. The fact that she, she's not really given much time to for development.
3: I mean, that's fair. Those are all fair points, and I wish they would have done a bit more with her too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think she, like you say, she was cute though, and she was friendly. And honestly, I think I prefer her to Samantha in the third game.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Fair enough. Samantha so had I more gone? interactions, though, didn't she? Sorry, they so, sorry. said so, so, Samantha had more interactions, though, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, there was more. She had more personality about her. I think. I did. I did personally feel like
2: Samantha, at least, had like a a really sweet romance, and she had kind of a
0: she opened up about like her sort of nerdy personality, which was a little bit relatable. I, I quite liked that. Um... I think they could have done
3: a little more with Samantha too, but yeah, th- that's a fair point. Although one thing I will say about Kelly is it, I'm not really a hundred percent sure like what they were trying to do with her character because like she comes across as like I don't know if shy is the right word, but like maybe a little introverted, but she is open and friendly. But then if you do romance her, you find that like at the end, like she's she's just
0: like completely the polar opposite behind closed doors. That's another thing as well, isn't it? Because you know, there's a point
2: in two where you've got to choose between saving the lives of your squad mates or the lives of your crew. You know, going straight for saving your crew at the collector base or building up the loyalty with your with your team. And you know, they've really got to nail it and sort of hit it perfectly to make that difficult decision and I don't think it was a particularly difficult decision. I mean, I like Ken and um, Gabby Gabby. See, I I struggle to remember their names though Um, (laughs) but um, you know I I wouldn't choose them over my squad and Kelly if she was done a lot better could have factored into that a little bit more as well if i really wanted her to live you know the only reason why i do the game the uh, missions in a specific order now is because i like to embrace all the content in mass effect 3 i don't really care that much about kelly in in terms of you know rushing to the collector base to save her
3: if you really want to do something fun in your next playthrough is i forget exactly i think that you have to do one extra mission before the collector base, and then you can save Ken, but Gabby dies, and then he's like clinically depressed throughout the entire third game.
2: I have done that before, and I didn't mean to, but it was, it was really quite that. sad. It's really quite sad, to be honest. It, it, I, I do love that that's still an option, though, the fact that that's possible. It's just a testament to the, to the game writing. And yeah, the, the, the whole choices matter thing that Bioware's really tried to to hone in on.
3: I will say, while I agree with you that obviously no one in their rat mind would like launch a suicide mission and, until they were a hundred percent ready, I will say that I do think Kelly is worth saving. Like, like the scene when she like literally melts is like super kind of disheartening and like i do feel a little bit bad i mean like i I think she's worth saving but i would like you say make sure my team was a hundred percent ready and before and like and if that means she has to die then she has to die but i think she is worth saving if you can
2: yeah i'm not saying i want her to die i'm just saying that if i had to choose
0: between the loyalty of my squad there's that ruthless calculus again yeah So um, who's going next with their number five, then? Go on then, Manning.
3: Okay, so I struggled with this one a little bit because I felt bad putting her here. But in the end, I feel like she deserves to be here. And my number five is Ashley.
0: I hope the Reapers
3: send you to hell. And Mm -hmm. it's just... I initially like when I first played the games, like I absolutely hated her. Like words can't describe it. Like I would intentionally save her on Vermeer just so I could kill her in the third game because the nuke was too good for her. And admittedly, I've softened <laughs> <laughs> I've softened towards her a lot over the years and I know do know she a does nuke have is too good. <laughs> yeah, I, I legitimately at one point felt like that. <laughs> and but i have admittedly I
1: want to shoot to myself
3: <laughs> yeah like i literally i'm not even kidding i would save her just so i could kill her the nuke was too good okay. but um like i said i have softened towards her and i can appreciate how she does grow from like the super space racist in the first game and then in the second game she gets so hung up on horizon about you being with cerberus it's like it amazes me if you bring garris on the mission to horizon he'll even say like he'll be like jesus christ ashley you're so wrapped up with cerberus that you can't even accept the fact that something else might be going on like she's so stubborn and pig-headed and but she does like the third game she does well, at least if you're nice to her but then in the third game too like she doubles down because on mars even if you're nice to her she still spends the entire mission on mars just Every five seconds, what you were with Cerberus. Why are they here? What's this? What's this? I'm like just shut
0: up. Like it's I'm not with Cerberus anymore. <laughs> I'll argue with that. I quite like cash. Uh, I always date her from am uh, male ship. I mean Miranda. I mean she's I used to, um she's to be she's, fair. She's, I used to cheat on her with a Branda. A lot, a lot of people don't like how she looks in three, but I actually, I, I, I am a bit biased because I played three first, but I quite like her look in in three. I
1: think it's supposed to be because she, it's not very military, isn't it? It's, she wouldn't have her hair down.
0: Yeah, but
2: yeah, I quite like her look. But I was quite, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure when I when I first in my first play, I romanced um,
0: Ashley just because. She looked good would be the best way of putting it. She she's um yeah, she's she's got she a good
2: quite attractive. Yeah, it's it just feels weird to say when you when you're talking about like a character with I don't know, uh graphics or whatever from
0: 2012. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she looked good. But um I don't know, do do you not think like the she 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 at least has a bit of an
2: arc, doesn't she, from like being less of a space racist to you know um being a bit more open in Mass Effect 3.
3: Oh, I know, and like I said, I've softened towards her greatly over the years. And I do appreciate her arc, how she does become more open and like how she says that like she considers Tally like kind of like her sister. And this and that, and she's like definitely evolves from being like so hard and stubborn. But it's just there's just certain
0: little quirks about her that just always annoyed me. That's that's fair, yeah. So, is it more of just a case of um, you had to pick someone as well? Partly,
3: there were a couple I was thinking about, but then in the end, I was like, I'm gonna put. I think I have to put Ashley here just specifically because, like I said, at one point in time, like I mentioned, and I know Tim laughed, but it's like, I thought I literally hated her so much that I thought the nuke was too good for her. So I'm like, yeah, if I had, even though that was a while ago, if I even had that feeling at all, she has to win out
0: over who the other two people were. Mm. So did you prefer Ashley to her then? So what am I talking about?
2: Um, so did you prefer Caden to her?
3: Well, I think I'm guilty of being a man. So the first time I played, before I even really knew anything as much about them as I did, I'll admit that I picked Ashley. I saved Ashley over Caden because Caden wasn't a hot girl. But I now have, after all these years, I honestly couldn't tell you if i preferred one over the other i think they both have so they both have annoying quirks but then they also both have redeeming qualities it's just my after my my initial
0: hatred for ashley was just what made me have to put her as my 5 mm i guess i guess it just kind of suffers from the fact that either Caden or ashley can be
2: dead like it's harder to to write a character when you know two quite different characters can be involved in the, in the story. You know, you've you've got so much to worry about as it is with this, with the third game.
3: I will say, I did find it a little interesting how, in a way, in the third game, Caden and Ashley's personalities kind of flip a little bit. And she ends up being the one who comes across as a little more soft. And then Caden's the one who's a little more rough around the edges. Like, especially if you romance them, when you go see them in the hospital, Ashley will even, she'll understand, like she'll make cracks like that. Oh, you cheated on me or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But she'll, she's more understanding to the fact that she was standoffish. And she understands why you might've slept with someone else. Whereas Caden is the one who's like, I can't believe you did that. How could you do this to me? And I just want to be like, dude, you called me a terrorist on the horizon and then walked away. What did you expect?
0: Yeah. And also it's been two years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, that's fair enough. Uh, how about you, Tim? Who's your number
1: five? Okay. Uh, so, Number five, I've gone the opposite way. I've gone Caden.
0: But I never expected anything like this. You've turned your back on everything we stood for. Wow, okay. Too I, very much. Started. Yeah, he,
1: he, he's alright, I suppose. He... I think it's because of his voice actor. And don't get me wrong, he's a quality voice actor, but I get
0: so much uh, him from Kotor, in it? Um, you mean his character?
3: Yeah. Well, his voice actor was in Republic Commando. I didn't. I don't. Oh, yes, he was. Oh, what the he hell was, was that guy's name? Carth. 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 That's it.
1: Yeah, and because Carth is such a white baby in Kotor, as soon as I hear his voice, I just think, oh god, I don't want to listen to you, and it's it's not the way the character's written for a different game. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I,
3: I always just, it's like, there, I'll never forget that. What's the name of the, the Twi'lek in KOTOR with the big Wookiee. That's
2: mission. Mission.
3: mission. That, and there's a, if you go like full dark side and then like at the, there's a part where mission is trying to like convince you to like change. And then you're like, no, I'm dark side now. And then, Cart literally just runs away and abandons mission, then leaves her to die.
0: And I was like, "Wow, that's a very stand-up manner there." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I really Caden
1: himself, because if if you actually you know his, his
0: story arcs quite quite good. Apparently, I've never actually romanced him uh, as a female. Oh no, I have.
1: Probably yeah, his doesn't
0: Romance yeah. have not Sorry, in, in three. But yeah, apparently, his, his romance arc's really good. It's one of I the best. I was just going to say. But... <laughs> oh,
2: go on, Manny.
3: No, I was just going to say, yeah, his. I guess he's a little bland in one, but if you romance him as a female shepherd in three, it is, I'll, admittedly, especially during the Citadel, it's admittedly quite touching.
2: When it comes to picking the romances, though, it probably doesn't help that he comes on so
0: bloody strong in Mass Effect One. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit full on. Yeah, because there's there's no escaping him.
2: Like whatever you say, he's just like, oh yeah, you're into me.
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no escaping it. <laughs> So, yeah, that's my my number one. Uh, So... No, sorry, my number five, isn't it? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay, Craig. uh, My number four is a character that kind of just suffers from being very bland and boring. He has some importance, I think. Like, he could have been way more important, though. And... He just suffers from a severe lack of dialogue. And his name is Exo Presley.
0: Exo Presley stands relieved.
2: And... Ah, oh, I like Presley. Yeah. He's just... He's got no conversations, though. <laughs> <laughs> you just... You can ask him those stupid investigate questions and then that's it. And then what? There's like a, a very short line that he gives at the end of... um the final mission in one and he's just saying there is no other landing zone and blah, 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 blah. And it's like good to see you can still talk because I've not spoken to you since the game started. And yeah, it's just like I'm supposed to care when he dies and Normandy blowing Murdoch. up. I don't. Murdoch.
1: Uh, from the A-Team, it's the the uh, actor. Plays, it plays Oh, right, okay. Well, that doesn't Bark matter. And, uh, Murdoch
3: and...
2: That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because it
1: he does doesn't say Murdoch anything. was ace.
3: Murdoch okay. was ace. Yeah, I knew he was Reg Barkley.
2: <laughs> okay, but he still hardly has any lines. <laughs> and he still gets killed at the start of the second game and still you expect me to care about him.
3: Do you not find, though, when you do the mission in Mass Effect 2 on Alchera where you find his data pad. And you can I,
2: like- I, I do, I do agree that the whole like data pad thing does have some redeeming qualities there, but it just, it does feel a little bit cheap that something like that was just done in a data pad. Like showing that he's overcome the prejudice of aliens and everything is nice, but it's just not enough when I've hardly spoken to him, you know, and hardly learned anything about him, about his family or about, you know, any reason to care about him initially before he dies
0: yeah yeah it's uh it, it was sort of a bit forced, I suppose like the wording in it like i actually i spoke to my um well I spoke to a friend of mine
2: um quite recently, and um she completely forgot that he existed, like she read that idea pad... And she actually thought um, she actually misread it and thought she was reading Ashley's log or something in the wreckage. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, it goes to show really she didn't she forgot that Presley exists, and I completely understand that.
3: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they both Ashley and him both have similar personalities. So I could see someone making that mistake.
0: Yeah. And,
2: you know, in some ways if um Ashley was the one who died on the. It might be nice closure to have her have that data pad instead. Uh, From
0: writing a journal or something before she died, I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah, that's. that's,
2: Do you guys have any thoughts on my little rant there about just Brathley being (laughs) underused?
3: I mean, I agree. And it's. it's, I feel too, like you say, like just because I wanted, like, Exper- when I do the playthroughs, I want to experience everything, but I sometimes I feel like I have to force myself to talk to him because, like, man, I don't really want to talk to you.
2: Yes. Pretty sure I only spoke to him in my, in my like, first playthrough. In fact, I might have even, like, missed him by accident in my
0: first playthrough of one, and then in my second playthrough I spoke to him, and I never spoke to him again. Because it's interesting you know, it's interesting talking to somebody who has those prejudiced views,
2: but it's like, at least with Ashley, they use that to have some kind of character arc in the conversations. Something changes, and
0: with with Presley, nothing changes. No, and I know. We'll say it was a little yeah. anticlimactic to
3: just find out that his views. Like, it would have been interesting. In the first game, if it was similar to like how Ashley is in the third game, where you could see like some growth from him, but just to like find in a DLC, just find like a data pad and like read a couple journal entries, seemed like like you say anticlimactic. I'm going to get a lot of heat for this one, um, but my number four is Grunt. One fight is as good as any other. Might
0: as well start with you. Ooh, why
3: is that? I just feel. Like, he literally adds nothing to the game. He's super immature, has, like, no self-control. He's basically, like, he's an idiot. It's like, he reminds me of, like, Stevo or Bam Margera. It's like he's literally a jackass character. He's just, he's big and he's there, and I feel like they just needed a Krogan.
2: Fair enough?
1: Yeah. To be fair, I would have preferred to have uh, the... Uh, Dr. he did sound like a quite an interesting character that you get to speak to him. He could
0: sound like he could be quite a good replacement for Rex, but I don't dislike um, Grund. I, I, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say he offers nothing because
2: you do at least learn a little bit about, like, Krogan puberty, basically,
0: with how he's going through that kind of um, angsty teen thing going on
3: i mean and that's fair and i guess to say i can't stand him might have been a bit harsh it's just i just generally just i'd barely use him because i mean like he just i feel like he just does nothing and he's just exists because they needed a Krogan. did
2: you did you did you, did you at least grow to care about him any more in 3
3: i mean a little bit i mean like his sacrifice is pretty cool and Oh, and another thing, real quick, though, is just he has, like, the dumbest loyalty mission. It's like you just stand there and shoot things for five minutes. It's, I mean, like, I guess you could say, like, fighting the Thresher Maw was cool, and then, like, an interesting set piece, but there's so many other moments in the game that are, like, it's just, like, his, his loyal, other than Jacobs, I think Grunt has the worst loyalty mission.
2: Yeah, it doesn't seem particularly interesting, like, yeah, and... It's just one big arena really, isn't it? So yeah, I can understand that.
1: I like the fact that I've only ever had taken on a more in the Mako before that point and then you're like, Okay, now
0: I have to go and shoot this thing to I so that was that was quite cool. But yeah, it's not overly that that great.
3: I mean if you have the cane. Even on Insanity, you can essentially... If you have good aim, you can essentially kill the Threshamore in one shot.
1: So, my four is Jenkins. mean a very good choice. It's like <laughs> I forgot <laughs> about him. Because, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he starts off, you get to chat with him right at the very start, and he's, he's acting like a child, and he's all hyped up. And then... I get if they were going to kill him off, he if he's he's a red shirt basically, isn't he? He's one of these they were going to kill, but they could at least have, have done it a bit later on, so there's a bit more impact. Yeah. He's, he's mentioned in the other games as well, so he had this deep connection to the characters. But you get that connection because you literally just meet him, and then within the first like five minutes, he's dead, and yeah, I, th- I think they could have done more with him. He, you know, he was obviously didn't follow orders. She said, "Hold." No, oh, no, actually, sh- Shepard doesn't. He yeah, Shepard gives a signal. They gesture to move. Yeah, but then doesn't Shepard say, "Move up," and he shot, yes. and
2: it kind of rips right through his shields, but then it doesn't rip through your shields, hidden shields. I guess that could have just been done better in general, though. Like um, Shepard dealing with the fact that it was. They made a mistake in that moment, and somebody got killed. Yeah, I think I think it should have just been a bit later on in the game.
1: Even if you're injured or something, you couldn't take him out again, and then you kind of have a few more interactions with him, and you kind of get a bit more of a a personal connection to him. And he goes out, he goes and does something stupid, and then gets himself killed, and you're like, oh, it would have it would have hit home hit home a bit harder, I think. It, it's you kind of meet him, and then he's dead. And that's it.
3: Um, but I was going to say, the thing with Jenkins was, like, the second I found out that I couldn't customize him, it's just like you instantly know he's going to die, like, almost immediately. There was, like, no build-up or suspense. I think it's
1: it's
0: only his helmet you can't take off, and it? You can actually assign him some points and stuff. But you can't remove his helmet. I do think it's funny, because I think I've seen playthroughs where people will spend time,
2: like, customizing his skills or something. <laughs> Just for him to get killed <laughs> in the first interaction of any enemies. <laughs> Which
0: is a bit sad, really. People dedicate that time without realizing. But I'd say it would have meant more
2: if it happened a little later. My number three was originally a character that would please Manning. But now it's a character that will not not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now yeah, it's a character that Manning likes, so he won't so much like that I put them here. Uh my number three is Morinth.
3: End of the line, Morinth. And they call me a monster.
2: So I I I I picked Morinth because she was just, she's a sidelined Companion, really. You know, she suffers from the fact that really not many people are going to pick her as, her, as, as the companion replacement for Samara. And I, do, I will also, would also exactly. argue I have that. never done it.
3: Considering how high your renegade bar needs to be to even have the chance to recruit her, I bet you a lot of people don't even know that you can.
0: Yeah, there's that as well. But also, it's sort of like the Vermouth
2: survivor situation. Just the fact that she can she can live, or Samara can live, just means like a little less time. I think is spent on conversations with either of them, like either Samara or Morinth. And yeah, I mean both characters suffer for it. But I think, whilst originally I did have Samara somewhere on this list, I just kind of felt like Morinth still still lures people into in, in clubs to have sex with them and murder them. And that's still pretty morally messed up. So I just kind of thought, I'll go with her. And the fact that, you know, just as a character in 3, she's really done dirty as well. You know, she's not given the opportunity to grow or develop in any way. And she's just the same person except, well, Except, um, she's not the same person because she
3: is a banshee. <laughs> um. um, yeah. <laughs> I think the thing though, like, I mean, the whole sex thing and killing people. Though, I mean, like, it's she's basically like she's literally a space vampire. Like, the name of the ship she escapes Ilium on is literally called the Demeter, and which was the name of the ship that brought Dracula to London in the nineteen or eighteen ninety seven original Bram Stoker novel. I mean, like, that's a little on the nose. But, I mean, it's just, it's a, I think it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, well, yeah. I guess I would ask you the whole, yes, having sex and killing people thing is bad. But, I mean, like, do you think when vampires do the same thing, like, who's a contemporary vampire that people like? But, I mean, like, they still drink blood and kill people and use sex to their advantage. Dracula's wife? I don't know. there's a lot of vampires in popular culture people seem to like but I mean like they essentially do exactly what she does
2: the thing is though, vampires need to drink blood to survive or it doesn't need to have sex to survive
3: no but she can have sex to become more powerful I mean like that's a it's an interesting proposition I mean like if like if you had that ability like say every even if it wasn't sex it's just like if you did something then and then af- every time you did it it made you physically stronger faster smarter whatever i mean like wouldn't you'd be tempted to do that too wouldn't you
2: not really not i mean i, I yeah i mean yes i'd be tempted actually i can't say oh yeah i'd overcome it no obviously i'd be tempted <laughs> it's
0: supposed to be like a drug though isn't it yeah. She gets addicted for her. Yeah, it's an addiction. But
3: And like I mentioned in the other episode when I had her on my top five, I find it too hard. Like, I mean, yes, killing people is wrong. Okay, fine, whatever. But I still find it hard to judge her too harshly because, I mean, like, again, like, if, like, sh- Like her condition wasn't her fault. It wasn't something she chose to do. It was something she was born with. And then they wanted to quarantine her and isolate her on top of this snow covered mountain out in the middle of nowhere. And then just pretend she didn't exist. And then like, she'd be have to live there for like a thousand years, like her entire millennium long life in constant isolation, not able to do or go anywhere. I mean, it just like, that's in honest, all honesty, I'd rather be dead.
2: That's fair, but I mean, just going back to what I was saying about how she was done dirty in 3, though, it's hard to have any more sympathy from from my perspective for her because she's not given anything in 3. She's just sort of thrown to the side and turned into a banshee off screen.
3: Yeah, I agree with like The writing was bad. I mean, like all the stuff you can find out about her, like all the emails and stuff on Liara's Shadow Broker Terminal. I mean, those are interesting and I think do offer some development. And again, make me feel bad, like some sympathy for her. But yeah, they completely wasted her in three if you save her in two. Okay, so my number three, and this one I think people might probably actually agree with me. Uh, is sporadus who is the original Turian counselor. Commander, you are addressing a member of the council. You will show the proper respect. Now I dis I strongly dislike all three of the original council members. Like Tevos and Velar aren't any better. But Sporadus specifically just irks me like in ways like it's like he's just like he's intentionally trolling me. Like he does he disagrees with you on everything. He constantly yells at you Nothing you do is right. Then you save his life and he's like, just pats you on the back and is like, good job. And I just, I literally like wanted to punch him. Then he spends the second game calling you a terrorist. The Reapers don't exist. Your minds, you don't, you can't think straight. Saren and Cerberus are like confusing you and you're an idiot and this and that. And then in the third game, he has the audacity to come up to you and be like, yeah, so do you want to go save the Primarch? (laughs) and it's just like I want to like physically hit him
2: (laughs) do you often hang up on them then
3: I normally do hang up on them I do I yell at I tend to yell at them a lot and like I like one of the most poetic moments in Mass Effect 1 for me anyway is when after the mission on Vermeer Joker's like do you want to contact the council and Shepard's kind of downtrodden because obviously Someone either Caden or Ashley has just died, and that in that instance, I don't even ever call them. And then Joker's like, "Yeah," it's, and the like, "What's the point? They're not going to believe us anyway." And Joker's like, yeah, Sovereign will be sitting on their heads before they acknowledge the Reapers exist."
0: Ah, uh, yes, Reapers.
3: <laughs> and that's the other thing. You have no idea how much I wish in the third game, there had been a renegade dialogue choice when he's like, the Reapers are destroying Palavin and we need to rescue the Primarch. And if you, there was a renegade choice, or Shepard would be like, ah, yes,
0: Reapers. Yeah. That'd be brilliant. But, yeah, that's... I mean, it's not... I don't have a whole lot else to say
3: beyond that. It's just... Like I said, I strongly dislike the secondary council. Like if you kill the council, in the first game, the second three council, like Ishiel, Arissa, and Quintius are fine. Like they're actually reasonable and talk sense. Like Ishiel will even say thank you for killing the original council because like they were like, especially Valarn because they were, he was sewering the Salarians. But the original three council, I can't stand any of them, but Sparatus by far was the worst.
2: I agree. He did seem to clearly hold some kind of prejudice, but I suppose a lot of Turians held a prejudice towards humans because of the first contact war.
3: I know, and I mean like and that's fair. But I mean like a lot of the other ones, even if they had prejudices, they'd still work together. And they could still acknowledge facts when presented with them.
2: It's the fault of the original council as a group, really, that they didn't believe Shepard though, isn't it?
3: No, I mean, and that's the thing is, they, none of them believed you on anything. But it just—it felt like he, in particular, was like extra cheeky about it. Like he'd be like twisting the knife. Like he was—it felt like he was like intentionally trolling me most of the time.
2: Yeah. yeah he does clearly like. Yeah, I, 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 I can completely see that.
3: And he was also by far the most aggressive of the three, which, I mean, he is a Turian, so I can understand that. But you would think that as a someone who's supposed to be representing his entire race, he could be a little more diplomatic.
2: Yeah, that's very true. He certainly could. He's a bit more mature in general, really.
3: And like I said, when he comes up to you in the third game, is like, I need your help. The Reapers are tearing Palavin apart. Can you go get the Primarch? I literally wanted to be like, seriously, you stripped, you took away my specter status. You did this and that. You didn't believe me. I've been trying to warn you for like four, three years. And now, after everything bad is now, you're like begging me to help you. It's like, I wanted to be like, dude, like go F off.
0: <laughs> I see
1: your point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It can be quite annoying.
3: Uh, so, my number
1: three is uh, Yavik, Javik, however you, know you say his name.
2: Traitors are the worst form of enemy. In our cycle, we would remove their limbs one by one and offer them a choice. Eat their own flesh or starve.
3: I believe his name is Prothy the Prothean.
1: <laughs> I didn't like the fact that he was a DLC character. Uh, I think he, he should have been in the main game. Obviously, it doesn't matter for the Legendary Edition because you get all your DLC in there, but... To to put to make a you know Mass Effect three without having him involved was a, a massive misstep. Get him; he's just a, I'm trying to say say something without need to go through and bleep everything. But and a- really is he's not fun to be around, and he, he questions everything. And I don't know; it's probably it it, it is supposed to be his character, but it, it just doesn't make him as an enjoyable companion, I don't think.
3: I will say Javak reminds me of Sten from Dragon Age Origins in that they're, like, both just supremely pragmatic. Like, I don't think it's so much as him being an, a quote-unquote yeah, It's just him always just being, again, like, super pragmatic and just saying things flatly and plainly and with no subtlety.
2: Yeah, I, I quite, I quite, I quite like, like, his, um his pessimism like his his pessimism to me has got a bit of a bit of a funny side like it's just kind of you know like when you've got that relative who just complains about everything and like how we've got it so easy because back in their day there was a war or something and
0: Hmm.
2: i don't know javik kind of gives that kind of angry relative vibe (laughs) which is just a bit funny
3: yeah he had to walk uphill both ways to school through three feet of
0: snow. <laughs> mm. I will say, though, Javik is probably the best romance in the game. Oh, God.
3: <laughs> it turns out there's one thing primitives are good at.
2: <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if, like, the new Mass Effect game is just directly tied to that one circumstance where Shepard might have had sex with a Prothean? you just play as a crossbreed between a human and a Prothean.
3: <laughs> Doesn't Shepard actually even say, let's never speak of this again or something like that after she wakes up?
0: Yeah. I can you imagine if they actually did have a child?
3: Well, I mean, I guess anything's possible. I know Shepard jokes about having a child with Garrus if you romance him. So, I mean, why not with a Prothean too? Hmm. God knows what that kid would look like. That would be like the best Mass Effect spin-off game ever. If you played as Fem Shep and Javik's kid, yeah,
0: that would sure. Tim would give it a glowing review. He would throw it out the airlock. <laughs>
1: Although I must admit, I've never actually seen him look at if he'd done that uh, ending. He commit suicide or something.
3: Yeah, if he touches the shard, he commits suicide. He tells Shepard in London that after the Reapers are gone, he's going to go find where his people are and then join them.
2: I don't mind that, though. It's not just, a, oh, I'm going to go kill myself. It's like, a, I'm going to be put to rest because I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be. It feels kind of peaceful.
3: I also appreciate that that's one of the instances where the renegade option, I guess, is quote-unquote the good one because if you force him to not rel- touch the shard and relive all his past memories, then he commits to, like, obviously he doesn't kill himself, and he starts saying, yes, I'm going to help Liara write her book, and I'm going to do this and that, and I'm going to do all these things.
0: So in that instance, if you picked the Paragon one, he kills himself. Mm. It's one of those... Um... It's not. It's one of
2: those instances where there's not really a right or wrong thing that I think. Like, you know, it's 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 like a um, brainwashing versus killing in terms of the gas situation. Um, like, do you lie to yourself for the rest of your life, or just pretend it didn't happen, or do you embrace it, even if that means you know embracing the emotions that come with it? It's a complex issue. There's no right or wrong answer, really.
3: I would argue that as far as that geth choice goes, killing them is by far the right answer. Does it mean, like, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be dead than brainwashed.
2: Yeah, I guess.
3: Fair like, like, at that point, you're basically turning the heretics into zombies.
1: The machines.
3: They're people. <laughs> well, here's a question for you. Um, speaking
0: of Javik would either of you touch the shard? Because I 100% would not. No. Um, I feel like out of just genuine curiosity, I would have to. I think... I think... I don't know. It's really hard to put yourself in that specific position, really. It's Yeah.
2: I, I can understand that uh, your feelings towards Javik, though, Tim. Like, he he certainly, you know, as, as well as the points you made, suffers from being shoehorned into the third game as well.
1: Yeah. It just, I mean, he does have some funny lines, and there are some moments that are quite good, but I don't know, it, it's just the, I suppose it's the arrogance of the character that overtakes all the good parts, which I don't oh, like.
3: Here's a question for you, Tim. If this were a list of your top five least favorite Dragon Age characters, would Sten be on it?
1: No, because Sten's different. Something about Sten is he doesn't go out the way to be arrogant. He's just, he's very closed and he's very, no, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, it's, you try to speak to him. It's like, why? Why do you care? Whereas, Javik is Javik, whatever, however you say his name. is like you are doing this wrong. You are this, and you are that, and it's like, well, hey, hang on a minute. <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 I don't see the the correlation between him and Sten. I think uh, Sten is very much more private, and you know, you've got to chip away at getting to know him. As Javik is just an arrogant, cocky. It's like, well, what do you do in your time? Well, they, they they join us or they die, simple
3: as. Yeah, well, I mean, Javik is similar to that too because half the time when you talk to him, he just says, I wish to be alone with my thoughts. I mean, he's kind of the same as Sten and like yet you have to continually keep going back and continually like kicking a dead horse to like get him to actually say anything of
0: substance. Maybe. Maybe. But I mean it just I always thought they were similar because it's like
3: in the the Mage Tower mission in Origins, if you have Sten in your party with you, when you get to the part where the desire demon is has mind controlled that one guard or in you're like trying to like fight her and to save the guard and Sten's like, Why? If he's that mentally weak, just leave him. And like I feel like Javik does the same thing. He's like, Why bother if people aren't strong enough to save themselves, it's like you say, they either join us or they die. I mean, like, it just, I always saw a correlation there.
1: Hmm. I suppose, yeah, you got a point there.
2: My number two is, surprise, surprise, the vent god himself, Jacob. Heavy risk, but the prize. And it's really hard to justify why he's not my most hated more than anything but you know there's just really strong reasons behind my number one so that's kind of the only reason but basically jacob's just kind of to me he's set up to be a more important character than he kind of becomes later in the game like when you first interact with him he he kind of introduces you to the new mass effect 2 world if you will like you know you ask him all these questions about waking up in the Cerberus base and he tells you everything that you kind of missed or tells you some bits and pieces at least and kind of alludes to like the elusive man or to Cerberus and I don't know he just seems like he'll be like a stand-up guy especially because he cares about like your your health and whatever like he's defending you against Miranda when Miranda's all like, oh yeah, let's run tests on him and whatever. But then later or not even that late into the game, Miranda becomes a way nicer person. And Jacob's just kind of sidelined to, I don't know, just being very closed off about his personal life. And it's just like, I don't know. It's like the game's trying to find ways for you not really to care anymore. And Garrus comes into the play onto the playing field quite early. So he kind of takes that bro Role, if you like. So Jacob doesn't really have a purpose if he was going to sort of fulfill that role for a time. I, I think he should have done for a little bit, maybe give us, make us wait a little bit longer for Garrus. And yeah, I mean, all sorts of other reasons. Jacob just, it's like the game's designed to have you ignore Jacob because at the end of um, the game in the suicide mission, he literally volunteers for the vents. And what happens if you put him in the vents? He dies. That's what happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, but why would you put him in the vents
2: anyway? Because you want him to die.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, if you put Garrus if you put Garrison in the vents, he dies too. There's only three people who can yes, survive but it's the, the fact vents, that and, Kasumi he for
2: and Legion. It. Like he chooses to die.
3: Yeah, cuz he's trying to be a stand-up a stand-up man-up mm-hmm. guy. He's like I'm going to do this. I mean, like and even if he's not the most qualified, I can respect like the the desire because it's like everyone knows it's a suicide mission in the first place. And the first time you do it, you don't know what's going on or who's going to survive what like, it's a little nerve wracking. Like he willingly sacrifices himself. And I think at the end of the day, Jacobs to me anyway, he's a bro. And I think he just more than anything suffers from bad writing and literally the stupidest loyalty mission anyone could have possibly imagined quite that's, like his loyal commission,
2: to be fair. That's, that's my biggest reason why he's where he is, though, it's the bad writing. And I'm just going to throw the Mass Effect... Um, Fem-ship ro- why does he say Mass Effect? But the Femme romance in there, you know, how he cheats on you.
3: I will say he does cheat on you in the third game, and if he does, you can punch him in the face in, Ma- in the Citadel DLC, which is pretty cathartic. But that said, as much as it kind of comes across is like some weird like softcore porn thing. I do find his romance in the second game kind of touching because like as silly and cheesy as some of the dialogue is, like you can genuinely feel like a bit of a connection. Or at least I did when I romanced him as a I, I just shepherd. don't
1: like the that you can't just go and talk to him. There's all there's that underlying flirtation that that you. annoys me.
3: Yeah, but it made, that to me, it sounded like, because in Mass Effect 2, so Fem Shep's 31, and I think in Mass Effect 2, Jacob's 26. So, I mean, while they're a, both a little bit older, it almost kind of reminded me of, like, your first, like, high school romance sweetheart, like, when you were, like, 16 or 17 in high school i mean and it was just like and like you don't really know how to talk to each other and it's a little flirty and it's kind of awkward but i still kind of found it a little sweet you
0: shouldn't
2: be although maybe that's just me that should be an option though where you shouldn't be forced for your character to flirt with jacob in that way because if you the player don't feel that way about jacob then you're just going to be automatically like pissed off and not motivated to talk to him in case you stumble into a romance
3: I will say, though, that if you do try to romance him, you have to be very careful because if you try to get him to open up before he's ready, he'll instantly shut it off and then you can never romance him again. I like the sound of that. Like, I forget the exact dialogue, but that happened to me once where I was like, my femme chef said something like, Jacob, it's okay to open up and talk about your feelings. Just be honest with me. And then he, like, got super upset and was like, if you're going to be this forceful or whatever blah 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 then just we're gonna stop this right here and then he wouldn't talk to me for the rest of the game
2: maybe that's the best way to end things with him
3: (laughs) i think that just sorry i just i think that speaks to like how emotionally vulnerable he is like all the nonsense with his dad and everything else and now he's trying to slowly work his way back up to being in a relationship possibly with Shepard. And if Shepard's too forceful, then it just scares him and he just cuts it off.
1: Yeah. I know that uh, Shepard says, he tells either Jack or or Zahid that they're running the ship like a military ship, but technically, yeah, they're they're not, they're, they're picking up a load of random crew for a suicide mission. And, Although they all know that Shepard's in charge, they don't act like it's an alliance vessel or anything like that, with the exception of Jacob. And he's always saluting. And it's like it just it looks out of place. It feels off. And it kinda of, it's like, oh, just put your hand down, man. For goodness sake. You know I'm the charge. I'm the boss. Nobody else does it. You don't need to either. But you can't tell them that. <laughs> so.
3: I will say I agree with you. It is I never really thought about it, but it is out of place. Especially like if you go up to your cabin and ask Edie about the cabin on that little, excuse me, like clicky thing, like every room has a clicky thing where where Edie will explain it to you. And if you do that in your cabin, Sherpa would be like, wow, this cabin's like gorgeous. It's like, I've seen apartments in downtown Nosastra that look worse than this. And Edie's like, this is a Cerberus vessel, not an Alliance warship. Accommodations have been made for personal taste and comfort and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, technically this is a civilian ship. And then even Jacob says, yeah, this is Cerberus. We have like ranks and hierarchy and et cetera, but there's no rules or regulations about fraternization or friendship or whatever. But then, yeah, it does seem kind of out of place that he always like stands super straight and salutes. And yeah, like you say, (laughs) he should put his hand down. (laughs) I think I've kind of said my piece about Jacob then, (laughs)
2: I really got anything else to say about him except what you said about Manning? Is he was just kind of a victim of bad writing and his loyalty mission as well? You know, it doesn't. I mean, you and me were actually speculating about a better option for a loyalty mission because a loyalty mission should make us care more about the companion, not just. I don't know. I I, I might have felt a bit
3: bad for him just because his father was such a. D- but that's that's about it, really. I will say, I will ask you one question, Craig, just because, especially, you're like, when you mentioned how Jacob was set up to be like, again, he's your introduction into Mass Effect 2 and why you're in in a Cerberus base and all this and that. And again, like, he defends you from Miranda. But then, one thing I want to ask you is like, when you said, but like, the second Garrus shows up, it's like he's forgotten about. Just, I've had this discussion with a couple other. Mass Effect fans, and I just want to get your opinion on it, what if I told you that in Mass Effect 3, Garrus was literally just James with a sniper rifle? He there, Aside from the fact that James is a human and Garrus is Turian, and they have different weapons, they're essentially the same person. They're both big, dumb, goofy bros. Yeah, but... And Jacob's kind of just like that too, although I guess he's a bit Garris, more serious.
2: Garrus actually opens up about himself. He tells you about his... Um his father and his i think he has like a, a brother or a sister as well or something um but he, he tells you about his family and he tells you about um stories of his well i mean i suppose jacob also tells you about stories of his past but like there's actually like lessons that garris needs to learn through those stories like when we were doing our top five favorite characters we were we were talking about how like, um, Garris learns about sort of the ruthless calculus thing, and you know Jacob's story in Mass Effect Two, like about um, Citadel bombing or something that he stops from happening, like him and Miranda. There's no lesson behind that. It's just, oh cool, they they helped with something. You know, there's there's no sort of opening to a character arc or anything.
0: I will
3: say, I wonder how much it would have changed because like as much as Garrus, I don't know if he, I don't know if resent is the right word, but as much as he and his father Castus definitely have issues with, because like his father is such like a strict by the rules, everything pro- for formal and proper. While Garrus is like, as long as I get the job done, who cares how I do it? I wonder if Jacob would have improved if his father had literally been anything other than just, like I said before, LOL, I'm running a space harem.
1: Yeah. I think it's supposed to be a take on something like um, Lord of the Flies or something.
3: If it was, they did a poor job of it because that was (laughs) nothing. The last thing I thought of doing that loyalty mission was Lord of the Flies. I'm sure it's supposed to be like a homage to it. I just think if Jacob's dad if they had just, if his loyalty mission, like I mentioned in the other episode had just been slightly tweaked and better and more interesting. And then at the end, there had been some conflict, like at the end of Miranda's loyalty mission, where you either, where she doesn't want to talk to her sister and you either have to say, okay, fine, let's go. Or you can force her to try to reconcile with her sister. If they had done something like that with Jacob and his dad, where he's like, I can't look at my father. We have to go. And you're like, you could be like, no, Jake. You have to go try to like fix this bridge or mend this wound or whatever. Or it'd be like, okay, fine. If you don't want to talk to him, we'll just leave. Like, even just something as simple as that with a slightly better loyalty mission would have been amazing. Done amazing things for
0: him.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. I mean, just doing something that you know opens up a bit more about his past, or you know, because. Him reuniting with his dad doesn't really give you any information about their past. Just, oh, look, his dad's not who he thought he was when he was younger. That, I guess that adds something, but it doesn't add enough to make you care more about Jacob.
3: I mean, like I said, all they had to do was in- make it so, without repeating myself from the last video, all they had to do was make it so his loyalty mission would be like you'd find out that when Jacob left the lines to join Cerberus, his dad disowned him. And then his loyalty mission could still be about saving his dad. But then once you do, you'd be like, he would be like, I don't know if I can look that man in the eye anymore. He's still, he disowned me. I'm still with Cerberus. He'll, he won't even want to uh, acknowledge me. And then your shepherd could either be like, okay, fine, let's go. Or be like, no, you need to go talk to him. That's your father. I'm mean, like, that instantly is like a million times more interesting than, again, LOL, his dad just yeah, ran space for Yeah, because then it's also
2: a bit decade. more relatable. You know, there's, there's always. I mean, I guess daddy issues is kind of a bit of a, bit of a joke in the Mass Effect community with how many companions have them. But it's, it's such a relatable thing for like any player, isn't it?
3: And especially that would have also made Jacob instantly more relatable to Shepard because, depending on your Shepard's views on Cerberus, if. Jacob's dad disowned him for joining Cerberus and if you're a Paragon Shepherd who's still loyal to the Alliance, then instantly Jacob's your best friend because you're literally both in the same boat. You're working with Cerberus because you have to, not because you want to. As much flack as I'm sure I'm going to get for having Grunt as my number four, I'm going to get even more for this because my number two is Admiral David Anderson. Timber! Didn't see that one come in. I, I should have seen that, but I was kind of hoping you <laughs> <he> wouldn't. <laughs> I just, I can't stand him. It's like, it's he, everything he does, it's like Two-Face from Batman, where he's like, he always says the right things, and he's like, I'm doing this, I'm always got your back, I'm helping you, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, blah, 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 blah. I'll keep the council off your back, don't worry about it. But then what he actually does is like subterfuge and cut your knees up from under you at literally every step of the way. Like in Mass Effect 1, the whole thing where you're like, don't tell the council about my vision, they'll think I'm crazy. And then what's the first thing he does? He's like, what about Shepard's vision? And then Saren's like, are we allowing dreams into evidence now? And then the council's like, yeah, that's pretty dumb. We're not like, we're not going there. And then he's like, and then even Saren's like, you're you're just mad at me because you because of what our past. And even Udina, and as much as everyone hates Udina, Udina had a point. He's like, No, I'm taking you out of this because the council thinks you just have a vendetta against Saren. And then the only reason you even get to play Mass Effect One is just because blind dumb luck, whether it's Rex or Bar Levon, you get a tip about what's going on with Tally and Fist. And if it wasn't for Tally, like you wouldn't even the game wouldn't even be able to be played. Like he sabotages you right there. In Mass Effect Two, he he keeps saying he's like, "Oh, my door is always open. Come talk to me anytime you want." But then you do, and he doesn't tell you anything. And then when you finally confront him after Horizon and be like, "Why didn't you tell me about Caden slash Ashley?" He's like, "Because we thought Cerberus was doing it." And honestly, even if we did know, I still wouldn't have told you because you're with Cerberus. And especially in Mass Effect 2, I think it's super telling that Admiral Hackett, who of all people, after the arrival mission, he physically by himself with no guards or accompaniment, like Cerberus could have kidnapped him, but he comes by himself onto a Cerberus vessel to personally debrief you and talk to you. And even he says, yeah, well... I don't really like Cerberus, but they're actually doing some good now so I can play nice. Whereas Anderson just stonewalls you at every turn. And then in the third game, he's like, oh, oh sweet, I got my Normandy back and I'm going to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. But then the second Shepherd gets let out of prison, he's like, yeah, you know what? Here, you're reinstated. Here's your dog tags. I'm just going to go hang out and like fart around on earth. You go do my job for me. Like it just, he drives me insane.
2: I what wouldn't have actually been that hard is if, you know, like you can choose for him to be the counselor or not to be. Like you can choose Udina. Um, Like if he's not the counselor, it would be, it would actually be quite easy if they just replaced Hackett with Anderson. If Anderson's not the counselor, you know, in that scene in the um, arrival DLC, you could do that scene and have it play out as Anderson instead if he's not the counselor, and then at least you are adding a little bit more to have him on your side. In one circumstance.
3: I think that DLC kind of had to have hackett though, just because the whole point of the DLC was you were trying to save his girlfriend. Yeah. That's very true. But I just mean like it's so dumb. Like, like in Massive, like if the Reapers had had attacked Earth five minutes earlier and Shepard had died in prison when the building blew up, then Anderson would have been forced to do it. But it's just like as soon as To me, anyway, it's like as soon as he saw an opportunity, it's just like he abdicated his responsibility and was like, F it. Shepard, you go do this. I'm just going to go fart around. He's like, have fun. And Shepard's like, wait, I thought we were in this together. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, you do this. You got this. You got this. I believe in you. I'm just going to go hang out over here. It just like, it drove me insane. And like I say, the only, probably the only, or at least the only renegade trigger I can think of off the top of my head that I always skip is at the very end of the game because I always let the elusive man kill him just so I don't have to sit through his god-awful, cringy, I'm-proud-of-you speech. And I just want to be like, shut up, you literally have been kneecapping me since the first game, I don't even want to
1: talk. I, I, I think that you're thinking a bit too much, you're overthinking the, the start-up of Mass Effect 3 a bit, a bit too much. I think if the Reapers hadn't attacked, then he wouldn't have given up the Normandy. He kind of saw the situation. He, he I think he had every intention of, of taking the Normandy away. And then once he got to the final bit where it was about to jump for it, he thought, actually, I'm going to be better off staying here and serving the people here. You've got this. Go, take the ship, go and get the people united, and I'll do what I can here. I don't think it was a – I think it was a, a split-second decision that he made. It, it wasn't never intended to uh, to let Shepard go and do his job for him. I think he he thought splitting our forces is better
2: than staying together. Yeah, I saw it that way as well. Just just from how you in 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 that sort of moment, he's he looks at the shuttles evacuating, and I think his thinking is, "I can help these people escape. I can aid the evacuation in some ways, and you know." He can help out in certain respects.
3: Yeah. I think my counter to that argument would be like in Mass Effect 3. So Shepard's 32. So, I mean, like Shepard's obviously been around the block a couple times by that point. But at the same time, Anderson, I think would be, he's 17 years older. So would that be 49? So, I mean, having that, like a Shepard, even if you're a Renegade or a Paragon, I mean, 32 is still pretty young. So I think having Anderson being almost 50, he could have been like a calming presence in a lot of the situations. Like when the, when Rex or Reeve gets tense with the Dalatras and Victus or when the Corian admirals freak out when Legion's on board or whatever. Like he could have been a calming presence because he's like a little bit older. He's seen a lot of stuff. Like he's been... He was almost a specter, like all this stuff. I just think having that older presence on board, even if Shepard was the captain, Anders and Anderson didn't do anything. He could have been on the ship and just help broker stuff, just because he has so much more experience. But it just to me, it's like the second he saw an out, he's like, "Peace out, I'm leaving." I,
1: I I think it, it wouldn't have worked for the game mechanics. It's like, yeah, all right, he reinstated him as a specter, but at the end of the day. It's an Alliance vessel now, and it's it's not a server's vessel anymore, and it was Anderson's ship, wasn't it? So who's going to give the orders?
3: Yeah, but even, like I said, even if Shepard was quote-unquote captain, Anderson could have still been on the ship as ex Like, Shepard even says, we're in this together. And Anderson could have been, even if he never went out on missions, he could have ran the ship while Shepard was out on missions, and he could have... And in between missions, he could have helped calm like relations because there's a lot of a lot of Mass Effect Three is spent with people who don't like each other in the same room, and Anderson could have been like that calming older voice. But it's just like he just abdicated all his responsibilities as soon as he saw a chance, in my opinion. Anyway,
2: do you think you would have seen that that moment in Three where obviously he he you know. um Stays on Earth. Do you think you would have seen that moment differently if, if, if he wasn't, if, if he was portrayed better in one and two? Do you think you would have seen him differently in three?
3: I honestly don't know, but I mean, like, especially because it's like one of the most awkward things in the third game is after you do the Grissom Academy mission, and it's like you have to play like in-between messenger creepy thingy between him and his girlfriend, Kaylee Sanders. And he he's like, oh. you go to her and you're like, Oh, I know you, you're Anderson's girlfriend. And he says he misses you. And she's like, Oh sweet. I miss him too. Please tell him that. And then you have to go have a vid call with him and be like, Oh, Kaylee says she misses you. It. And it's just, it's so weird and awkward. And if he was just there, they could have physically talked to each other. And if he was just there, So many other things probably would have went so much more smoothly, but he just was like, he just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, it's a
1: bit bit sad that they didn't have their kind of reunion, especially if you like read the books and stuff. You know that they had
2: quite a thing for each other, and I actually think that maybe, maybe given the setup in that book, there could have been a plan at some point for Anderson to actually have more of a role in three, like. Like I could, I could see maybe that just to cut back on like, the costs of developing the game, like they just give Keith David like less of a role in Mass Effect 3.
3: Well, I'd know in, especially in retribution, like Kaylee and Anderson have like one of the most touching romantic things, scenes after Aria takes her pregnant or pregnant after Arya takes her prisoner. And they're in like this, they're at Arya's base and like, Long short, Kaylee gets all 10 of her fingers broken because she tried to pick up a gun and a Batarian stamped on her hands. And like all 10 of her fingers break and they're all in splints. And Anderson's trying to like comfort her. And then there's like this really touching scene that's not like sexual at all or anything. It's just like super touching and romantic without being anything else. And it's just like, why wasn't any of that in Mass Effect 3?
2: Yeah. So I guess it's like a. A similar case with Jacob, then, where it's just a sort of a bunch of missed opportunities, then for you.
3: I, like I said, I don't even know if it's missed opportunities. I just think he, in the books, he's an interesting character, even though I still kind of hate him. But it just, in the games, like I said, it's not, it just seems like every step of the way through all three games, every time you like take a step ahead, he like hits you in the knees. And you're Like, dude, like, just stop. It's like with friends. It's like the old saying: like, with friends like that, who needs enemies? Anyway, I think I've said about all I have to say about Admiral David Anderson. So, and Tim, if you do you have offended, a number two? Right?
2: We've got a full ed- ed- episode dedicated to that. <laughs>
3: yes, we do. And I, I think I touched on just about everything I did in that episode <laughs> as well.
1: <laughs> my, my next person. I'm going to go with Diana Allers.
3: Allers, I need you to leave the Normandy. You're kidding.
1: The reporter from Mass Effect Three that you can invite on your ship. I. Uh, it shouldn't have been her. It should have been the other reporter, and <laughs> her name eludes me now.
3: If you say Emily, it should Walker,
1: have been Emily. Like you... Yeah, it should have been her. Yeah. It. It. She was killed off-screen, which
3: it was. It was not odd. Or even, yeah, but it was such a it was such an epic way she died though. She like killed herself to save like five hundred people.
1: But even so, the the voice actress, she was down to record some lines, and then they went, ah, oh, you know what, we would just nah, change their mind. Well, yeah. that's just
2: it. Would have not uh, not cool. Would have been a nice little um, character arc ending if at least she became like a big shot reporter or something by. You know, um, streaming live from the Normandy or something, and then maybe later on she, you know, sacrifices herself in some side mission or something. That if you bring her to that, she can have a big dramatic ending. Yeah, but instead,
1: because they wanted to get a good review from IGN, then they um, they included uh, Jessica Chobot into it, and. Yeah, it 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 just seems for. I mean, it's frustrating because I I bring her on board the ship anyway because of the the war assets that you get from her, and
3: all five oh, of I didn't them realize that. I thought
1: I thought it was a bit more.
3: No, you you bring her on so you can Skyrim her, don't you? <laughs> Sleep with her and then kick immediately kick her off the ship. Um. But, yeah,
1: it, it just she seems shoehorned in, and I don't, I, I don't like her. I don't really interact with her. Uh, I'm very blunt when I speak to her in my interviews. Like She's there. You do a job, and you go away again.
3: I will say I don't necessarily – I kind of agree with you, but I will say I disagree because I don't think she was there specifically to get a good review from IGN because if all the real-life rumors are true, For why she got immediately pulled off, like a literally less than a day before the game launched, why they IGN yanked her out and then put two other people in instead. If those rumors are true, then I don't think it was necessarily just for a good IGN review. I think there was just more. They just maybe just wanted to include her.
1: Yeah, I don't think she actually ended up doing the review in the end, did she? But.
3: No, like IGN once like like I said, I don't think those rumors were ever proven true, but if they are, then that would explain why IGN instant like I said, I'm pretty sure it was less than a day. They yanked her out and sent two new people in to cover the launch because she they didn't want her anywhere near there. But
1: yeah, so I don't think she should be in the game.
3: I will say though, I didn't mind her. I mean she was a little shallow. I wish she had more of an arc. But I mean I don't I didn't necessarily mind after every mission going and chatting her about random things and some of the things she talked about like her being from Milgram were interesting because that's all like I'm all for world building and she just like would casually chit chat with you like I wish she was had more of an impact than what she had but I didn't necessarily hate her at the same time
2: yeah I just feel like there wasn't enough there of her really to care
3: Yeah, like they should have built, especially, I mean, if she's just there and you talk to her, that's one thing. But the fact that they included the ability to romance her, but then all it is is like one scene where you just like kiss and then it fades to black and then there's nothing afterwards. Like if you choose to stay with her, it just like nothing happens after that. That seemed kind of lazy.
1: And she asked for that as well, didn't she? She asked to be romanceable.
3: Yeah, but I mean, like, again, like the fact that you can, you can romance her and you can sleep with her. But all you get is like you just see Shepherd kiss her and then it fades to black. And then if you stay with her, like when right before the mission when you attack Chrono Station, like you get this big whoever you're romancing, you get this big long out romantic thing with the beautiful piano music. But if you romance her, there's just nothing. Shepard just goes to bed by themselves. Just of a, a bit of a missed opportunity, I think. It's like they got seventy five percent of the way there and just stopped.
0: Yeah. Again, shoehorned in really yeah in in a lot of ways like you know mass effect
2: 3 is a culmination of mass effect lore in so many ways isn't it like you literally have companions like i mean with the exception of james you've got the legacy companions from 1 and 2 and you've got um like javik who really adds something in terms of like lore and sort of you know significance to the story there and just while she's not a companion like um Diana, like it still feels like she should be someone familiar. You know, like actually, even James has some ties to the previous games because he's got that whole thing about the his mission with the collectors. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and he, and he has... Doesn't James also have an entire comic dedicated to why he left California and his father to move to New York with his uncle?
0: I... I think so, yeah.
3: I'm yeah. pretty sure he does. But there's
0: also that
2: um movie as well.
3: Oh no, I know I I'm I'm fully familiar about Paragon Lost. I'm just saying in addition to that, I'm pretty sure James also has a comic that's dedicated entirely to why he left California and his father to move to New York to be with his uncle. I think yeah. it was his uncle anyway. I know Tim's the comic expert.
1: Um yeah, he's he's got quite a big Backstory,
3: because yeah, I don't think Diana's not mentioned in any other media other than Mass Effect yeah, Three, issue.
1: she? Not shoehorned, yeah.
3: Although, to be fair, if if you replaced Diana Allers with Emily Wong, and everything else stayed the same, could you not also say that Emily would have been shoehorned shoehorned into just because she would? The people would have been like, "Oh, I remember her from the first game. That's awesome." I mean, like that's kind of shoehorning someone shoehorning someone into Yeah, I suppose. I'd expect a bit more...
1: You'd expect a bit more from them if they put Emily Wong in. Because you'd want them to respect what, you know, she's done before, and not not just put her in for the sake of putting her in.
0: Or if they
2: really wanted to do something interesting, like, what about that... I really can't remember her name, because it's a bit complicated, but the, the reporter that everyone punches, like...
3: Elisa <laughs> Bencina Aljelani.
2: That's it. If they threw, If they threw her into it, like... That would be quite like risky and interesting, I think, because then you're sort of opening doors to like, um, like even going through like an interview with her would be like a battle in itself. Like you're just trying to fight the controversies. It's like every time you do something, I'm sure she would be looking for a way to turn that against you or something.
3: To be fair, you can be. You don't have to punch her. First of all, and secondly. You can be, you can, in a lot of ways, picking the renegade options in all three games. I mean, not the renegade interrupt where you hit her, but just the actual renegade dialogue choices are a lot more impactful than actually hitting her. Like, especially in the second game where she's like, wouldn't you say you were in charge and you let tens of thousands of people die and blah, blah, blah. What do you say? And you can just, like, don't you dare say that I made that decision likely. All those people are heroes and they deserve better than you. And like, that's not, I'm paraphrasing, but like, that's such a powerful thing for Shepard to say. And even she's like, whoa, maybe I crossed the line. And even in the third game, you can turn her into a war asset if you convince her to shut up and be like, Khaleesa, like go do your job and keep reporting and keep asking tough questions, hold the politicians feet to the fire and then she'll even admit at the end of the third game that if you don't knock her out, that she's like, you know, Shepard, we haven't always seen eye to eye, but I'm glad you're on our side. I mean, like, it is kind of a sweet story arc.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that she's just heartless. I'm just saying, like, because, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, just, I feel like maybe, maybe she would ask tough questions like she would, call out shepherd on her on his decisions maybe in some cases and if he was to if she was to do like a, a interview or something
3: i mean like as much as i i actually kind of like diana but as much as having said that, like if Kalisa could have been the reporter on, like assuming if Emily couldn't, if Kalisa could have been the reporter on the ship, I would have loved that probably exponentially more, especially if she also could have been a romance option. Cause that would have been hilarious if you punched her in the face in the first two games and then slept with her in the <laughs> third one.
2: And then after all that, you punch her again.
3: <laughs> okay, well, no king
0: shaming Craig. <laughs>
2: Okay, so since we were speaking about shoehorning, my number one is Kai Lang. Cerberus thanks you for all your hard work. Cool oh dear. And, yeah. Oh you <laughs> triggered me. <laughs> and whilst yes, you know, they do make him somewhat redeemable in the comics and the books, etc., I have to speak from my first experience and exposure to him, which was this was some weird space ninja who showed up out of nowhere, killed my thane, and you know, just you know, was was just there to be a minion for this mustache twirling elusive man. And I don't know if they'd done something that was more more tied to previous games, like if you know, they were going to keep Jacob in Cerberus for whatever reason. I don't see why he couldn't have been an agent for the elusive man. Heavy risk.
0: But the prize.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. Like, just... Kai Leng just seemed like a stupid idea from the get-go. Like, why would you carry swords in a world where... Everyone's got such advanced technology. And you've got, like, fucking Reapers with laser eyes and whatever. And he's carrying around swords. And just... The way he's designed combat-wise, you know, it's like they make it so impossible to beat him despite how hard you try that just he comes across as frustrating more than anything else.
3: Do you want me to answer your question for why he has a sword while the Reapers have quote laser eyes? Go on. So um, when you have a housefly in your house, do you try to kill it with a fly swatter or a newspaper or do you use a shotgun? Um, I don't
0: see right. exactly. Your silence speaks volumes. don't know how to respond to that
2: um.
1: So, so,
2: okay. so, what's the fly in this situation? Shepard is the fly. The fly would
3: be Thane. Oh, okay. And then the sword is the fly swatter, and the shotgun is. It's like when you fight the Reaper. Do you? The reason the Reaper on Rannoch, the Reaper Destroyer, has such a tough time hitting Shepard is because it's using a weapon that's designed to destroy buildings, trying to hit a human. Like, the sword, his sword is personal. It's used to kill people. He's not trying to destroy buildings with it. Okay. It's like form over function.
2: But a gun is used to kill people too, and it's actually far more effective. How did that
3: work out for Thane?
2: Well, Thane was stupid enough to run at the assassin.
3: He got about, I'm pretty sure I counted once, and it's something like 18 or 19 rounds he gets off before he stupidly runs at Lang with his gun.
2: Yeah, I still think it's stupid that somehow Kai Lang deflects those. It's like it's not a fucking lightsaber. He doesn't use the force. He, you know?
3: He wasn't deflecting them. He was outrunning them and outmaneuvering. Like Thane just couldn't keep up with them. He was too qu- Lang was too quick. Oh, okay. Never mind the fact that I still like I think I mentioned it in the other episode, but I'm still convinced and no one can change my mind that Leng, or Thane actually wanted Lang to kill him. Because he's, in my opinion, Thane wanted to go out in a blaze of glory against an equally talented assassin, rather than slowly suffocate with a in a hospital bed with a tube down his throat.
2: That's true or not? He still just he still comes across as a character who's just shoved in. You know, you're just giving him know, all this information last minute, and
3: I know. And he's got like the whole stoop the quote-unquote stupid ponytail, and his space oakleys, and he's just a jerk. And like my better half calls him quote anime Keanu Reeves. But I still think he's kind of cool. It's just, I wish they could have included at least a little bit of the stuff from the books and comics about him into the game. Like what he does to Arya's daughter, the fact that he used to date Maya Brooks, just all this other stuff, like his history with Arya, the whole biotic underground thing. It's just, there was so much stuff. Like media available at the time that could have been put in. And like, I don't know if they just couldn't afford Troy Baker for more than 15 minutes, but there was just so much more stuff they could have put in that would have just made him so much more. They didn't even have to include everything. There's just like four, five, maybe six things that just would have made him such a more fleshed out character. His history with Anderson.
2: Yeah. I suppose I'm actually going to, I'm going to sort of shoot myself in the foot here and I'm going to come back to what you said about Anderson and if he was involved more in 3, and say it would actually benefit Kai Leng more if Anderson did come with Shepard and there was kind of a you know, a physical interaction between the two of them.
3: Exactly. You know what you know would have been the greatest Easter egg of all time? Is if you had the D- Citadel DLC, when the first time you go into it, if you could like interact with one of the flower pots and just be like, why is this filled with pee? <laughs> and that like would make you want to read the books.
2: Yeah. Or it would make you want to avoid that book at all costs.
3: Or you could be like, you go, you could interact with a cupboard and be like, I thought, they were like, why is there no breakfast cereal here? I thought Anderson said he had lots of cereal. <laughs> yeah. I just think, again, I guess as much, it's funny. Cause like, I think everything you said about Jacob being like not well-written and not having enough stuff, I think applies to Lang because I don't know if I like, I'm just, I'm really intimately familiar with Lang and I'm not so much with Jacob, but I feel like both of them, there was enough media that existed at the time the third game was released or was being developed rather that could have been included. Even if you didn't, you didn't even have to include all of it. You just could have included some of it. You could have fleshed both of them out a million times more. And that's even before you get to the argument about how, in my opinion, Lang should have been a romanceable squad mate in Mass Effect 2, which would have made having to kill him in the third game infinitely more impactful. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely a missed opportunity there.
2: I think, if anything, actually, there's more media around Kai Lang than Jacob. But that's exactly why Kai Lang is such a failure in that game, because they didn't integrate any of it.
3: I know, and like I said, there's just even four, five, six things that would have taken maybe, I don't know, like a day or two of extra integration. Like I said, maybe they just couldn't afford Troy Baker for that long, but it's just, it was such a horrible missed opportunity. And I feel bad that it wasn't because there was so much, especially because like Ari is in the game, Anderson's in the game, Kaylee Sanders is in the game. There's so many people that he has such like vivid and intimate interactions with in the novels and comics that are also in the game. And it doesn't touch on any of it.
0: Hmm.
3: And I had a really great point to make and it just slipped my mind. <laughs> did you feel as bad about when Kai Lang killed Miranda as you did when he killed Thane?
2: Kai Lang never killed Miranda. I will never let that happen.
3: Well, uh, you have to talk to her all three times. Otherwise he does.
2: Yeah. And in that circumstance, I just hate Lang all the more. And it's just, you know, if there's no empathy for him, then that just makes him look like even more of a douche. Almost said something else, but I'm trying to reduce... Well, that's
3: I try to watch my language too, too. We're family friendly <laughs> here. Well, maybe PG-13.
2: Well, I said a few already, so I'll just calm it down a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I've said my piece now on... Um, Kindling.
3: Cerberus, thanks you for all your hard work. Alright, so, drumroll please, but I'm sure to the surprise of absolutely no one, my number one is Samara.
0: Find peace in the embrace of the goddess. Wait, what? <laughs>
3: I know, shocking, isn't it? I just literally cannot stand her just like the same reasons I hate win in Dragon Age. it's just she's super annoying. she's a fanatical religious zealot who just has no free will or free thought. everything she does is because of quote the code and it's just she's so just insanely unlikable for me. she's she's literally and I'm not kidding, she is literally the only character out of all 47 squad mates you have in Mass Effect 2 that I literally never bring her on a mission. The only mission I ever bring her on is her loyalty mission so I can kill her and get Morinth. I just cannot stand it. She's fanatical. She has no... Look at her, her literal recruitment mission. Detective Anaya, like this sweet, innocent, just normal a sorry, regular, everyday, normal person is literally just doing her job and says, well, I can't release you that fast. And she's like, you won't be able to stop me. And then, so it's just like she's willing to literally kill an innocent person for literally doing her job. It's just like that just speaks to her why I hate her. Just in a nutshell, that's why I hate her.
1: Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you, to be honest. I was thinking about her on my list, but I never really paid much attention to her until you spoke about her. And then the, the, the more I've listened to you, I'm like, yeah, I actually agree with that. I can see what they were doing with her. They were trying to get her to be the, the kind of Jedi of the, uh, of the party. And, you know, following the Jedi code and you have to, you know, do the sorts of, you know, live by a certain rule book. But I think they just went way overboard with it. And it even contradicts itself uh, because she says, uh, you know, that recruitment mission, she has a code that she has, you know, she's following to to go and stop uh, Monrith, And then in the next breath, she's like, yes, okay, I'll join with you. And you can even question it. You can say, well, wait a minute. Didn't your code just say that you can't? And it's like, oh, my code says that uh, I, I can – sign myself over to you. And it's like, well, what about your your personal mission? And it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) One minute you're saying that you 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 can't do anything because you're you're hell bent on on following your code. The next minute you're saying you'll do whatever you want and it's a suicide mission, you might not be able to finish your code. So yeah, it
2: yeah, I completely agree with you. (laughs)
1: That's what I'm
2: saying. That's not even like a hard fix to do, though. That could have literally just been sort of a Kasumi-type deal where you're just sort of like triggering the loyalty mission straight away.
3: One thing I will say is, as much as I can't stand the Jedi, and I prefer the Sith Code, at least the Jedi Code doesn't encourage you to murder innocent civilians for just doing a job. I mean, yeah. if, if nothing else than that, that just shows you how much of a not very nice person she is and how much of a crazy just religious a bit, fanatical zealot she is.
2: It's a bit stupid how she's so kind of, I guess, unforgiving towards her children, though. though at the same time, you know, her children are dangerous.
3: Uh, well, I'm just saying it's like she's a crazy fanatical zealot and, like, she's willing to kill innocent people to just do her job and I mean like, but she's like using like religion as a defense for being a crazy psychopath.
0: Yeah.
3: I mean, it's like, if you read her, like one of the weirdest things I this is probably a really weird thing to point out. If you read her bio on the shadow brokers ship in that, on that one terminal where he has like personal data on everybody. One of the things that says about her was that like she got rid of like all her lingerie because like that was somehow offensive to the code. And I'm like, you're crazy. (laughs) Like, like if that is something that's offending you, it's just like, like she's just such a psychopath. (laughs) And I mean, I guess you could kind of say the same thing about, I guess Cerberus, but at least Cerberus has a plan. It's the code to me just seems like as a lazy excuse to be able to justify murder through religion. I thought
2: you were going to say something groundbreaking that was in those messages, but then it was just a thing about the laundry. And I'm just sort of thinking, I mean, I guess that's weird, but it's not like a strong point.
3: No, but it's just like, that's what I'm saying is like, if something th- that minute is offensive to the code, imagine like what the big things are. Like she's not even allowed to like look nice. She has to just be like this boring, bland. It's like how, like it's like in Star Wars, all the Sith look amazingly epic, and all the Jedi just wear like gray bathrobes.
0: Maybe they're comfortable. Yeah.
3: No, but I mean, look, look how many, how many, look how many iconic Sith they are. There are, how many kind of Jedi? Let I me mean, like, it's like when you play SWTOR, even
0: Jedi wear Sith armor because Jedi armor is boring. Yeah. Or it's like. I don't, I know Tim's
3: old enough, but I don't know. Do you remember the old Transformers cartoon from the eighties um, or are you at least aware of it? Yeah. I, I,
2: I might
3: be. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying like, um, imagine being 10 years old back in the day and knowing you could only get like one present for Christmas or your birthday or whatever. Do you want the transformer that turns into a fighter jet or a tank or a spaceship or like this cool army Jeep? Or do you want the one that turns into a 1982 Volkswagen van? I mean, like, the good, like, general, like, the auto...
0: The Decepticons are just flat-out plainly cooler. Yeah, Starscream was my favorite. Yeah, Starscream was
3: epic. And I know that was a weird tangent to go down. But it's like the same thing with GIO. Everybody in Cobra, even their basic foot soldiers look absolutely amazingly cool. Whereas the Joes are literally the village people. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I I hope people understand. But I'm just saying it's like... If
2: the, Samara is a boring transformer.
3: Yeah, I'm just saying, if the code is so strict, she's not even allowed to have nice clothes, like who would follow that doctrine? And then when you get to the mission on Lesis, people there think the Justicars are crazy because they're like bringing in people who are like emotionally physically damaged like beyond repair and they're like we have to really look into these justicars because i think they're abusing their power
2: yeah i guess that does kind of speak volumes
3: i mean can you honestly blame mournth for running like would you want to live on a monastery on that in that monastery for a thousand years because of something you had no control over i'm like i would have ran too like honestly even if i got caught I'd be dead and then spend a thousand years in there.
2: Yeah, I get it. But it's, it's most, she has no control over it. She is still killing people.
3: Yeah, I know. But I mean, like, I defy when you talk to Morris, or not to Mor- sorry. When you talk to Samara, have you ever she's like this? Her eyes are always like bug eyed. She never blinks. And she's just like got this like creepy, unnerving stare. And you're like, this person. Is legitimately like she, legitimately, is someone I
0: would never want to be around. Like, just she just is so off putting to me. Like I said, like I've softened a lot towards Ashley over the years,
3: but Samara is one person like from the second I met her, the first time I played, uh, this person is a psychopath, and I want nothing to do with her.
0: And again, she's literally the only character I never bring on any missions other than to kill her to get Morinth. Yeah, I mean, whatever your thoughts on Samara, I guess it's like it's one of those things where I can't
2: think of anyone who would choose her over the other potential Mass Effect 2 what I will,
3: What I will say is Morinth is evil and does evil things, but she does have redeeming qualities. Samara has none. Like, throughout the course of the trilogy, you find out, well, not really the trilogy, but especially in the second game, and especially the third game, you find out that Morinth does does the softer side, and she cares about her sisters, and she loves them, and over the years, she's been trying to do things for them, and then Samara's cut everything off at the pass and not let anything happen. Like, she can't even be bothered Instead of saying, yeah, your sister's a crazy space vampire or whatever, but she still loves you and she sent you these gifts. or She won't even do that. She just hard cuts everything off and won't even, and just instead lies to her other two daughters and says, your sister hates you and she just left and she hates you and she doesn't
0: even want to talk to you. I mean, just like lying up is just so off-putting to me. Yeah. That's fair.
3: I'm sure there's a lot of Samara fan people out there who are going to tell me how wrong I am. But I'm just saying, personally, I just can't stand her. Yeah, uh, Manda
1: Kenderson is, um, is on my list.
0: There is no escape. There's no redemption for what you've done.
1: Mainly because there's no there's no peaceful way to to bring her down you you it's you have to shoot her i think it was really whole story arc it it's really odd because she goes from it being like a a solo infiltration rescue
0: mission to then the the, the artifact obviously she's from the um the rival
1: deal if uh if you don't know who I'm talking about. But yeah, she she you have to mm. rescue her. which is all ill good and then you know it it seems that she has yeah, you know, like she's going to be a really interesting character. But then she quickly switches over again I know that she's indoctrinated and um but it it's just sudden 180 and it's like what where did this come from? Why are you um why are you kind of doing this? And then at the very end it it's you've got no option to, to save her or bring her down or talk her down. It yeah, you know, it's just a
2: case of you kill her and that's it. So yeah, I I I didn't like her as a character, I don't think. But to be yeah, I mean, I completely get that with, with Kenson I mean, there's not really There's not really much to you know get you to, to, to care about her. I mean, I guess she's kind of just a a plot device for that DLC, really, you know? I mean, there's I guess I guess there's that whole history with Hackett, but there's nothing really tying Shepard to Kenson to really make you care, really. No. Well, there's, I guess there's also just, just the fact that, like, as you say, it is such a quick change in character. You know, she's one minute she's on your side, and the next she's not. And it's just. It almost just. If anything, makes less sense that, like, she would bring Shepard that far just to. Just to turn on him or her, anyway. Yeah. And. Yeah, it's like. She's even giving you all of this information just before that happens, anyway, which just seems stupid. So. But yeah, it. it... I think she could have been done better. I think it's probably.
1: I know they'd kind of have to wrap it up quickly and neatly so that she didn't have to come back in the main game or to be a reason for it, but. Or maybe expanded on or something. I don't know. I suppose it's hard for, for DLC characters, isn't it? That uh, And she's indoctrinated as well. So yeah. they don't
3: tend to last very long, do they? One thing that always confused me, and I don't think BioWare ever addressed it um not when you get to the space station on the asteroid but when you're actually in the prison on Eratot. did it always did they ever explain i mean obviously there's a lot of batarians around but did they ever explain who all the humans were there because there's a lot of human guards in that prison too not they're not all batarian um
2: in what sorry
3: because when you when you're first rescuing her in the prison on Eratot. There's like some Varan running around, and there's a bunch of Batarians, but there's also a lot of humans wearing Batarian armor. I'm just, did they ever explain who they were? Because that always confused me, and I found interesting.
2: I guess not. I mean, they could just be like a a pirate gang that's sort of mainly Batarian.
0: I know that's just like a
3: really weird, nitpicky thing. I was always like, who are all these wearing Batarian armor?
2: <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode five. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas about future episodes, please email us at thelpcast at outlook.com. And please do leave us a five-star rating as well, because it really helps, and we'll give you a mention on the next episode. This has been Tim. Thank you for listening. See you next time. And Manny.
3: Thank all you all for listening, and I will see you next time. I am sovereign, and this station is
2: mine. You gonna say, money? (laughs) I thought he was being polite. I think we've lost him again, haven't we? Yeah. Just enjoy my nuts for a minute. (laughs) Too much information.
1: (laughs) Uh, Two, to be fair. Uh, the first one is from Williams Brown. It says, hello, I am Williams Brown, a lawyer. I have a client who has the same surname as you. Meanwhile, I have a business transaction worth nine million six hundred to transfer into your bank uh, to accept the account to, to help the people of God. And we've also had... Uh, Musta. I, I am Muster Ahmed, a banker by profession from Burkino, Faso. I have very confidential business. Business proposition involving a transfer of eighteen point five million United States dollars that will benefit us both. Contact me via my private email address. So that's the two emails we've had.
3: I wonder if he's from <laughs> a Wagadugu.
2: I just have two high-profile viewers or listeners.
3: I mean, like that's like what twenty-five, twenty-six million? Like right there, we can
0: we can hire our Kelly now. I say, th- I say, jump on it, Tim. <laughs>